It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the free edition. Hello, one and all. Dustin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama. Joined, as always, by Dan Peck of the Dan Peck Multimedia Empire. Dan, how we doing? Cozy mode activated as yep. uh, the, the sleepy time uh, wardrobe uh, re- ma- makes its return. Justin, I'm, I'm glad to uh, to see and hear that you're feeling better uh, yep. from uh, f- from what you uh, uh, what you picked up there in, in in your travels. And and have you uh, have you told the observer folks what you're going to be doing uh, Sunday afternoon as as part of your uh, uh, you know, yeah. as, as part of your as part of your travels part of your part of your duties? Yeah. So Sunday. We're recording this on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. LSU's women, uh, defending national champions, play at Auburn, and I am covering that game for the AP. So, looking forward to, you know, th- this Auburn women's team gotten off to a slow start in SEC play, uh, but against quality competition this year, they have played some really good basketball. And so, I am, you know, looking uh, to see if the Tigers can really keep it competitive against. I mean, the the powerhouse uh, of the sport right now. Uh, so, looking forward to that. Uh, joining. As well, from the pit uh, where the government cannot track him. This is the editor, engineer, podcast extraordinaire, Painter Sharpless. Painter, how are we doing? You know, I don't think I ever took credit for being really wrong about the national title game. Oh yeah, I yeah. don't think you were. I don't think you were that wrong. Painter, You're not I mean, as wrong wa- as I was. Washington, I had Washington winning. <laughs> Michigan leaned on Washington until Washington really didn't have answers, and I mean, it, it felt you know. My it seemed like the Iron Bowl where and maybe the talent gap wasn't as as wide on paper, but it felt like Washington really needed to have a great first half and hold on because the Michigan surge was coming. And instead, instead, they were down 17-3 late in the first half. If if Washington's up 17-3, you know, maybe they can they can hold on at least tied or something like that. But but, you know, that that game that that first 20 minutes or so was uh was exactly what what Michigan needed full transparency for I also had Washington winning so just oh, that, yeah I was all enamored with with them having the best player and uh Michigan was like that it's not going to matter and I said a lot about the coach the head coach and how he always wins and wow that that has become pretty relevant around here in the last few days we'll we'll definitely talk about that towards the end of the show but we got some business to take care of first. We'll talk some football towards the end. There's some more movement with Auburn football, uh, obviously with their with their roster and their coaching staff. Still going to finalize some things on that coaching staff, and there might be a pretty big reason or two why uh, Auburn isn't at the finish line yet with its staff. Uh, but we got to talk about this Auburn basketball team because, fellas, this Auburn basketball team is really dadgum good. And... In a week in college basketball, you had six of the top eight teams in the country lose um, two unranked opponents. Um, I believe Houston, I don't think anybody else did, but Houston won or lost multiple games. They lost both of their games this week. Um, you had Tennessee have to rally big in the set, had a big lead, um, blew it, and then had to rally back to beat Georgia on the road uh, as well. There's a week in college basketball where Really good teams lost, and they lost in upset fashion. It's the beginning of conference play. You can get kind of bloodbathy early on. And Auburn takes care of business twice. Uh, they beat a Texas A&M team who, by the way, beat Kentucky at home in a high-scoring game in overtime on Saturday. Um, but they take care of business against LSU 93 
to 78. Wasn't always pretty, but for the majority of this game, this this was Auburn knew what Auburn does does the teams, and um, this LSU team is pretty good. Uh, they've got they've got weapons, um, and you know they they'd beaten a And M, they'd beaten Vanderbilt, they had uh, they were undefeated with uh, Jalen Cook in the starting lineup, and Auburn really took it to him, uh, took it to this LSU team, and came off with a win. And Dan, like again, like. This team's not perfect. They've got issues. You know, there's you know, there's stuff they need to sort out during games for sure. Um, Bruce Pearl's doing the classic Bruce Pearl kind of underplaying his his team's success to this point, which is to be expected. Um, but I mean, the computers and the eye test and everything, it doesn't lie. I mean, in a time where a bunch of co- good college basketball teams are losing, Auburn's not only winning, they're winning by double digits. This is Yet another win where Auburn wins by double digits, covers the spread uh, as well. I mean, this this team's doing everything you want at this point in the year. Yeah, and and a couple of couple of wild runs in that game on 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 Saturday, right? You thought you think about how Auburn had the the the, the they closed the first half in in a way that gave them a comfortable lead when it was. I mean, why they took it from a two point game to a seventeen point game. Uh, over the final seven minutes or so of the first half, the lead gets to does it get to thirty? Like Auburn, Auburn leads by a ton in the second half, maybe twenty eight, and LSU fights back and and turns it into a single. I mean, you don't you don't think it's going to be a single digit game again when Auburn's up twenty eight in the second half uh, of of the of, of the game against LSU, and so I mean, I I can see Bruce Pearl's point that sure Auburn. Uh, I mean, it, it could have been disastrous if if Auburn had made some mistakes once LSU had made it a single-digit game again, but that's not what ended up happening. Uh, but I could see how Bruce Pearl might be a little concerned about the way the game ended, but the way the first half ended was some of the best basketball we've seen in this remarkable month or so for Auburn. That 19 to, I think it was 19 to 2 or 19 to 4 run uh, yep. There in the in in the closing minutes of the first half, I mean that's 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 a that was especially in a league where, I mean aside like you said, uh, Kentucky on paper excellent. They lost to A and M on the road. Tennessee on paper excellent. Lost at Mississippi State in a league where even the even the preseason favorites have looked kind of mortal. It was championship level stuff from Auburn. Like that's, I mean, that that's that's, and again, not to make predictions about where this season's going to go because there's a lot of SEC basketball still on the regular season schedule. But Auburn was Auburn was harnessing stuff against LSU when the game was close to to stretch the lead back out. Yep. That I mean that that's, you know, it's it's uh it's it's the kind of stuff that great teams do. Hey, I don't know if you felt this way watching this game because I, I did during the game. You know, Jalen Williams hits the four point play to end the first half, and I look up and it's like they've got fifty. And it, I mean, it, it. You know, usually when a team scores fifty and a half, you're thinking like, man, they are shooting the lights out or they're unstoppable. There was a little bit of that to a degree, but this team didn't really feel like it was just kicking people's teeth in. And they scored fifty one in the first half, and I think that's just another thing. There's it's. Sometimes how casual this team just runs it up on on others, I think, is something that you can't overlook. 
It is certainly an adjustment from from last season where everything felt like such a grind. And you're right. Sure. Now Auburn's scoring in bunches somewhat casually. And uh, it's also kind of a testament to how quickly you can become, I don't know if spoiled is the right word, but you know, you just like it quickly becomes your expectation. To Painter's point about last season's wins feeling more like uh, struggles or, or, or street fights than, than these games have in yep. league play. I believe Auburn of its of its SEC victories last year, Auburn had five SEC wins by ten or more last season, and they've they've opened conference play with three of them yeah. al- already. They've, they've they've had they have three of them this year, and it's in their first three league games. And it doesn't seem like LSU was the last time Auburn will win a conference game by ten or more points. Just just looking down the road at how it could be. Uh, you know, it, it it could be this this thing could hit a speed bump, but at the moment, it it does seem like this team, uh, you know, is is dispatching teams more easily than than last year, or even even the team that won the regular season title, right? Like, I'm I'm not yeah. sure, you know, that I mean, th- this is the I so the the first Bruce Pearl championship team, seventeen eighteen, they opened conference play. With two really impressive wins, Tennessee and Arkansas. Yep. And it it set the tone. That's what this start has felt like. Like it's it's you know, uh-huh. you, you put a league on notice that even even some of the teams that were supposed to cause Auburn uh more difficulty than this have have struggled to 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 mount enough of a challenge. The last time Auburn won their first three games in the SEC by double digits, the last two times they've done it, they won the league. That was 22 season, the 18 season that Dan had just brought up as well. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the, this is a team that has the stuff to contend for a championship this year. As the dust settles from the first three games of conference play, there are only two teams that are undefeated in the SEC already. Um, we've already it, it's only taken three games to get to this point. We're down to two. It's Auburn and Alabama. And, um, you know, they play their first game next week. Uh, against each other in Tuscaloosa, which should be, you know, a spectacular matchup. I mean, for 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 Auburn, I think the thing for them is just it's not the fact that they're winning big; it's how they're winning because it's it's a variety of ways. They just won a grinded out like against A and M. That was a grinded out. Got to win it with defense. Got to you know, hey, your shots aren't falling today. You got to you got to win with defensive rebounding. This game one by defense, but in a different way. You score 93 in, in the case, and they, they shoot really, really well, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But the story of this game for Auburn was, for the first time this season, they had a game where they just turned over teams a ton. Um, this is I mean, 17 turnovers from LSU and 16 were steals. LSU can get loose with the ball, but this to have a steal rate like this, Auburn... Auburn stole the ball on more than 20% of LSU's possessions uh, Saturday night. That's a crazy number. They had not stolen the ball that many times in a game since uh, they beat Nebraska two years ago in Atlanta. They hadn't done that in an SEC game in four years. Uh, that was the uh, the the 2020 season uh, that ended up getting you know canceled at the end due to due to uh, COVID. Um, but that was a that was the home win over Tennessee. Uh, in that one where Tennessee turned the ball over 24 times. And uh, I think that was the game 
So like Javon McCormick had five steals. They had like several guys had three for Auburn in that one. They did that, and this this Dan this Auburn offense is really good. We all can see that, but you know what makes an offense even better when they're stealing and getting out in transition. Matt McMahon, the LSU coach, said after the game, he said, we might as well have thrown the ball in the stands because when you get it stolen, you turn it into easy transition opportunities. Auburn plus 16 in points off of turnovers in this game, um, despite being just plus nine in turnovers in general in this one. I mean, you do that and you get you get really good fast break opportunities. Uh, this this offense is just life just gets easier for this offense when you return a defense into that. Um, and that's something that I think if this team can continue to lean on that a little bit more, it makes them that much more dangerous uh, as a, as an opponent. Yeah, I think this team is excellent at forcing live ball turnovers, the 16 steals against LSU, an example of that, and then turning those, you know, turning defense into offense quickly, you know, attacking in transition. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that's the, it speaks to the pace. Bruce Pearl wants to, to you know, his, his team, uh, he, he wants them to play at. And, I would, uh, yeah, I, I think that's something. It's not, it's not just one or two players contributing on that front, right? It seems like you know when on on the breakaways and and uh, creating these turnovers, there's there's contributions up and down the, uh, the the roster and multiple positions, right? It's guards, it's 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 posts, it's uh, it's it's everyone. One of the big things in this game that I thought, and and this ties into what we just talked about, but one of the big things in this game that. I think showed kind of what Auburn can do, especially with their with their versatility on offense and defense, is they can look at a really good matchup, uh, another team's top player, and say, "Hey, we're we're going to make sure you don't really kill us." Um, and they did that in this game with Jalen Cook. Jalen Cook, um, you know, Bruce had talked about it all throughout the week. He makes them a different team. The two lane multi year transfer or multi time transfer that gets ruled eligible. In December, with all of these guys that get that blanket, um, you know, thing through the uh, through, it was in West Virginia, Dan. The uh, the, I guess it was a, I, I guess oh, the, it was a the, court. The tr the tro. Yes, right. Yeah. So, Jalen Cook's one of those guys who gets cleared. He he makes his debut against Texas. They lose that game, but then he goes into the starting lineup. They were undefeated with him in the starting lineup. They were four zero, and in this game, he got also a pretty good start. And it was the first few minutes. I was like, "Oh, Jalen Cook's getting after it," and then it was nothing after that. Uh, he finishes the game seven points. He had eight shot attempts. Um, so whenever you have more shot attempts than points, that's usually a good sign for your defense. Zero assist, five turnovers. Uh, Matt McMahon said after the game, LSU had LSU's primary ball handlers three assists, ten turnovers in this game. Uh, I don't know what happened to Cook. He didn't play the final sixteen minutes of the game or something like that, uh, but. You know, it was Auburn took it away from him. Aiden Holloway said after the game, he's like, "Look, we had to stop him. We knew we had to stop him. He was the guy for them. Um, he got into some really good ball screen action early. It was splitting it. Auburn did a really good job of stepping up. I thought Auburn's five men in this game, Janai Broom and um, Dylan Carwell, did a really, really good job of, of attacking in the pick and roll um, and, and just you know helping their helping the their teammates out on defense. And shout out, shout out to. Uh, Shout out to Denver Jones. There's a lot of possessions where Auburn will start with Denver Jones on the team's primary, uh, you know, threat at guard, and uh, he's got to run through a lot of action, a lot of screens, stick with it. 
Denver Jones isn't taking a lot of shots. Bruce said after the game they got to get him some more shots. It hadn't really mattered because this dude is selfless. 3 and D type of guy. His defense has been excellent. Last two games, he helped hold down Jalen Cook. He helped hold down Wade Taylor. Did you see what Wade Taylor did on Saturday against Kentucky? Um, because if you didn't, uh, here's a reminder. After having a really inefficient game against uh, Auburn uh, a few nights earlier, Wade Taylor had 31 against uh, Texas A&M. Oh, and Tyrese Radford had 28. So a guard duo that Auburn really held down carved up Kentucky. So I mean, I think I think that says a lot about where this defense is, especially those backcourt guys. Well, and I think the scoring Auburn has gotten from Chad Baker Mazzara, mm -hmm. go Raiders, Chad Baker Mazzara, Northwest Florida State. Uh, but uh, the the scoring Auburn's gotten from him has made up for. Uh, yeah, maybe Denver Jones hasn't come in and overwhelmed as a scorer. What Denver Jones has been able to do is. I think similar to the role Zepp Jasper had the last couple of seasons, uh, he's he's been asked to really, uh, you know, have have a have a lead role in the perimeter defense against, as you were just talking about, Justin, the, the other team's primary ball handler, and that's a that's a physically taxing role. Yes, uh, and so maybe Auburn thinks that, especially if he's an accurate corner three or top of the key three point shooter maybe run the offense through some other guys while he's also playing that that significant role defensively. And and I think he he has shown in a few games this year when he gets hot, he can he can really start to fill it up. That's just his game. I think, I think people I, forget how accomplished of a scorer Zepp Jasper was coming to Auburn from the group of five as well. I I'm not sure I'd be curious to know how similar the minutes or the uh, the numbers were between Denver's last season at FIU. I understand that the leagues are different, but Denver's sure. last year at FIU and was uh was Zepp at Charleston Southern Charleston. Or, or, Charleston. Or, or, or COC. Yeah, he was at he was at COC. But but um uh yeah I, I think that I mean Zepp was Zepp was also somebody who when he when he came to Auburn people thought they might be getting an impact scorer and yep. what they got was somebody who was absolutely willing to roll up their sleeves and do you know do some unglamorous uh defensive stuff on the perimeter to help Auburn win yeah and right now I mean Auburn scoring 93 without Denver Jones you know carrying a lot of the that workload on on offense I think is is pretty big you mentioned Chad I mean you just got to get to Chad immediately here uh season high 19 points for him he was three or four from deep Auburn by the way as a team 45% from the field, 40% from deep, 87% from the line. Those are sla those are team-wide slashes that you will just absolutely take every single day. That is the sign of a team that can be really really efficient on offense. Um you know, they did not have their three their their three-point shot was falling a, a lot more early. Aiden Holloway, I here's my thing with Aiden. It's it's not the super it's not super efficient shooting numbers right now, but I mean He's such a threat that you just let him keep firing. You're winning right now. Let him keep firing. See if he can get hot. Uh, and he he got off to a really good start in this one again. But Chad Baker Mazzara, 19 points, Dan six steals in this game for Chad. Um, just a constant menace, and his length mm. is really making a difference. And he said it after the Arkansas game, and it's been kind of a talking point. Some people thought he was a little too skinny, a little too a little too light uh, to 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 make it work in the SEC, especially on defense. And he's proven that wrong time and time again. He is 
He is Auburn's most impactful player right now. Um, he's doing it coming off the bench. Now, in this game, he played 28 minutes. So, again, I'll say it a billion times. Don't get hung up on who starts. Look at who who plays the most. Look who finishes. If you look at you know the spread. But he played a game-high 28 minutes, or a team-high 28 minutes for Auburn in this game. Uh, perfect from the free-throw line. He just does everything you want. And, you know, Dan, a lot of credit goes to Auburn for locking down a dude that was a JUCO player. And I know other teams looked at him. I know AM looked at him. I know Kentucky looked at him um, and, and, and recruited him as well. But, you know, Chad Baker-Mazzara is... Th- this is value without going out and getting this big-name transfer that everybody in the world wants. Auburn's getting a guy that is, is has turned into one of their best players and picking him off from 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 the junior college ranks. Uh, you know, that might not be something that every college basketball team wants to do. Um, especially one that wants to contend and the value here in Chad Baker Mazzara has been has been through the roof. In in a in a world where talent is I mean the, the search for talent for a college basketball team, right? Takes you to American high schools, it takes you all around uh, the transfer portal, it could take you to other parts of the world uh, and and other countries looking for guys. It can also take you uh, to the D2 and and D3 levels, right? If you're if you're if you're searching for guys who might fit um, Chad Baker Mazzara coming in, you know, a former D1 player uh, who, who ended up uh, in Niceville at Northwest Florida State, uh, plays for the national championship at Northwest Florida State and does enough at the junior college level. And it's not easy to do enough, even for a former D1 guy, it's not easy to do enough at the D1 level that you got in multiple SEC schools uh, th- thinking about offering, uh, offering uh, you a chance to come and play and that's like you said that that was the case with chad uh, auburn a&m kentucky all inquired towards the end of his college uh, his junior college career about about bringing him in and the the impact he's made i mean i was excited about it on you know i was well and on top of the fact that his some of the plays he made at san diego state seemed like you know he, he would fit right in to a wide open Bruce Pearl offense. Like this is somebody who's willing to take, uh, you know, w- willing to take a quick three point shot, willing to 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 try a an unconventional or a dangerous pass. He's he's confident in his own abilities, and he should be based on uh, the the way that he's uh, that he's playing right now. And and yeah, it's it's a, a testament to uh, Bruce Pearl's ability uh, to find uh, the talent that fits. And it's not just about they're fit as basketball players. It does feel like it's sort of personality driven too. Um, you know, f- find the guys that fit no matter where they are, even if they're, you know, playing junior college ball on Niceville. I'm going to write about this on Monday, so I don't want to give away all of it, but Auburn's bench unit, we've said it a billion times now. That first half run where the bench comes in and then you look up and it's like, oh, well, Auburn's taking the lead or oh, Auburn's on a run with these guys on the floor. I think really stood out. Chad obviously had a great game. Uh, the second number two on the team in plus minus on sa- Saturday night, Katie Johnson, despite the fact that he was one of six from the field, um, gave you a lot of value out on the floor. Trey Donaldson had a really good game off the bench. Uh, Cheney Johnson had had a very impactful game. Um, seven points, um, You know, hit a three, finished off a few breaks. Dylan continues to be really, really good off the bench. Five points, six boards, four blocks in this game for Dylan Cardwell in 18 minutes. He does his role really, really well. That bench unit just deserves a ton of credit. 
uh, for what they continue to do. But uh, again, it's 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 one of those things with this team where it's like they just have this depth that they can mix and match, and depending on who's hot and who's like, it's not you know tracking rotation charts. You look at this team and you say, okay, sometimes they close with this lineup, sometimes they close with this, sometimes they do this or that. When you have such flexibility and there's not as much drop-off between your starters and your bench, in certain matchups, you can feel comfortable saying, hey, this time we're going to run these guards and these forwards together, and it might be different the next game out. And and, and we saw that on on Saturday with with the way Auburn uh, you know, closed the game out, um, you know, in a time where LSU was making their comeback and you know, trying to bring it to single digits. Chad Baker Mazzara hits a big, you know, three on a kick out from um Jalen Williams and the game settles from there and Auburn takes care of business you know from there on out but it was a different closing lineup that time than it was you know on on uh on Tuesday night against Texas A&M team deserves a lot of credit for that because it's it's a lot of good unselfish you know team basketball and I would say also the other thing that makes this team I think potentially pretty special compared to what we've seen in the past from Auburn um Free throw shooting. They are top 50 in the country right now in free throw shooting. 75.5% from the line. Uh, Janai Broom, 5 of 6 from the line. Katie Johnson, 6 of 6. Chad Baker-Mazzara, 6 of 6. Dylan Cardwell, 3 of 4. Uh, Jalen Williams, 3 of 5. He missed his first two and then hit the rest. I mean, this this is a team that shot 87% from the free throw line. It was their best game uh, in six years from the free throw line when they have a pretty good volume. This is This has the... This is on pace to be... Bruce Pearl's best free throw shooting team at Auburn since that first SEC championship team. Uh, I know it's a big pet peeve of fans, and I know a lot of people have, have wanted to see it. And it, it's like, got to knock down your free throws, got to take care of business at the line. The fact that Auburn is shooting really, really well from the line right now, I think it's got to get fans even more excited for when these games get tougher here coming up in the next several weeks. Uh, to have your big men, Dan, to have both of your big men be solid from the free throw line. And that's what they've been since the app state game. Both Janai Broom and Dylan Carwell have been pretty good centers at the free throw line. And it's not always easy. I mean, I think any of you who watched the end of the Mississippi state Alabama game on Saturday night, state kind of fell apart at the free throw line and Alabama was able to pull away because of it. This kind of stuff's important. Now, are they going to have games later this year where maybe they're not as good at the free throw line? Yeah. It's just kind of how the wall of averages work, but this is a team that I can personally attest puts a ton of work and ton of effort into fixing their free throw shots, especially the guys who struggle with it the most. And you're seeing the benefits uh, from it on the floor. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's that's exactly what you want to see from a team like this because it's not always going to be this easy. Um, they're not always going to kind of, you know, win these games by double digits. But the fact that, you know, in the AM game and now in the LSU game, that they kept that team at an arm's length down the stretch because they're just knocking down free throws. It just, it, 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 it helps folks out a ton. And, and Jalen and Janai, you met, you mentioned J- uh, Janai and, and Dylan. I would, I would throw Jalen in there as well as somebody who was having like Jalen is going to the free throw line more than, than he ever has in his, in his Auburn career. And he's, I think he's still right at around 80% uh, th- this season. And he's, you know, he, we probably don't talk about him enough, all things considered, and and the season that that Jalen Williams is uh, is having. But his, it's uh, yeah, not not eye popping stats against LSU, uh, but his his strong play continues. 
they hit both of his shots that he took in this game. It is funny because like a lot of people are like, oh, an aggressive Jalen and Auburn's at its best with an aggressive Jalen. And it's like, yes, but Jalen Williams hit his two threes, three or five from the line, seven boards, you know, three assists and a steal. Now, when when you have a guy again, it's another thing about this team where it's like you, there's no, you know, LSU probably went in this game thinking, "Hey, Jalen Williams has been playing like like a madman right now. If we slow him down, we could probably beat Auburn or have a good shot to hang with him." And in a game where they got the ball out of Jalen's hands pretty frequently, he didn't have a very many opportunities to shoot. Didn't hunt for many opportunities to shoot. Auburn still scores ninety three. They're up by twenty eight in the second half. So on and so forth. Um, this team has got this team's got a lot going for it right now. And like I said, there's a lot to be said for a basketball team that when the rest of college basketball is struggling with non conference or I'm sorry, unranked opponents in conference play early on, just keep winning. Win by any means necessary. This is a this is a knife fight of an SEC race. Um, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. I don't think Auburn's going to get too far ahead of themselves. Because everybody's capable of 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 you know giving you trouble. You look at the look at the SEC to start. I mean, guys, who would have who would have thought heading into this that Arkansas was going to be zero and three, that A and M was going to be one and two, um, and you know obviously A and M just got that really big win against uh, against Kentucky. Florida's one and two. Um, you know Georgia, South Carolina, Ole Miss all off to really really good starts. I think compared to expectations. Tennessee's already lost. Kentucky's already lost. Um, and then Auburn, Alabama are on the top of the heap. Like, this is what you want if you're Auburn, just to be in position. And every game is going to be a different type of battle. Uh, and in this one, you know, Auburn, even with the second half kind of falling apart. And, and, and here's the thing about the second half that I want to say, and Bruce mentioned this after the game. It's human nature to kind of throttle down when you're up by 28 in the second half. It's hard for a team to just stay on you like that. And Auburn was guys are trying to get theirs and, you know, trying to run it up. They weren't playing as crisp of offense. They weren't as locked in on defense. That's part of that's human nature. Part of that's a learning experience. It's like Bruce is going to stay on his guys to be at that kind of level for all 40 minutes. And you're not always going to get that. You know, Bruce said after the game, like, hey, we got to make sure that if I'm not getting my points, it's not a problem. Because the way this team is going to be at its best is that everybody contributes, and not you're you're not going to have very many guys. Like Dalton Necht had what like thirty something uh, yesterday against against Georgia. It was the whole reason Tennessee came back and won. Auburn's probably not going to have guys like that this year, and um, that's just the nature of the way this team is built. So they can't they can't get out of that out of sync and it's better to get out of sync like that when you're up by 28 than when you're in a tight game um but i I think it's more of a learning learning process i know pearl's gonna harp on that but like dan like you know it it really didn't kill him it really didn't kill him in this game um and i think there's some of that it's where it's these are college basketball players and it is just human nature to to kind of throttle down sometimes when you're when you're killing teams like this uh in the second half and credit to credit to ls2 for yeah for not not packing it in down 28 and continuing to play hard. And they got some shots to fall and, and made things a little bit uncomfortable in the second half of that game. Yeah. Hit their shots. Uh, this is a team that's not very good from, from three. They hit them and Auburn really, you know, packing in its defense, did a lot of swipe in try and it worked for most of the game, but there were some stretches where LSU got hot. 
Matt McMahon's a really good coach. They've got some really good pieces. Again, I, I think you're going to look at this Arkansas and and LSU for for Auburn. Those three that they started with, Auburn wins all three of those games by double digits. I think Arkansas might be cooked or cooked adjacent. Something is deeply wrong with that team right now. But I don't know if uh, we're going to sit here and say if you're Auburn that you're not happy that you get those three out of the way. Uh, I think a And M. I mean, another one and two right now in the league. But they've got Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, Ole Miss coming up. Like they've got the potential here to get on a little bit of a run. And I think Wade Taylor's not the most efficient dude in the world, but like he is going to fill it up from time to time. Tyrese Radford is an awesome player. They've got the best offensive rebounding team in the country. They are going to give teams the blues. And they gave Kentucky that on, on Saturday. So, you know, I think you're good if you're Auburn if you if you don't have to deal with those teams moving forward. Another team. That Auburn's not going to be able to just completely get past. They got to play them twice in pretty quick succession. Is Vanderbilt? Look, Vanderbilt looked like they were going to be by far the worst team in the SEC. They still are right now, uh, according to a lot of the numbers. Arkansas, Missouri, and Vandy are zero and three to get it started. Uh, Vandy lost by three at home to Alabama, so that ought to tell you something. Auburn's got to go to Memorial on on Wednesday night. Uh, they lost by eight on the road to uh, LSU and then lost by 13 on Saturday to Ole Miss on the road. This Vandy team is struggling. Um, they don't do a good job on defense. They are shooting the ball pretty poorly as well. Uh, you you say all that, but then you look up and you say, it's still Vanderbilt. It's still playing in Memorial Day. And like, weird stuff happens there. And I think... I think Bruce will ha- hammer this home as, as much as anybody heading into the week. Bama only beat them by three there as much as they're struggling. And like that, that ought to tell you something about how you, you can't, you cannot look past this team at all. And I don't think Auburn will. I think history, especially what happened last season, losing on a buzzer beater, you can't let that overlook. But like, you know, I think Vandy's another good example, Dan, of just how, how crazy this conference is. Even the seller dweller, even the by far the worst team in the league can give you a scare, and it's not like they're getting their doors blown off of them every night right now. It, it does feel, though, while ev- everything you said about playing at Vanderbilt is true, it does feel like the rest of January represents an opportunity for Auburn to make some hay in in league play. I know you've got that Alabama game, uh, but you got Ole Miss at home. You know, Auburn should be a, a, the favorite in, in that one, even with Chris Beard's team playing well. Uh, to uh to to open conference play. I know they they beat Florida already. Uh, but but it's uh, uh it's it's a uh no it's a, it's an Ole Miss team that I would look at and think uh or no, it's a, it's an Auburn team that in January you got two games against Vanderbilt. You got that Ole Miss game. Even the trip to Starkville. I mean they beat Tennessee. Uh, but but this is an Auburn team where you know th- this this does feel like a chance to pick up. I'm not saying they're going to finish the month undefeated, but uh they they have a chance to pick up. Uh, a couple of of league wins over the next few games, and and Vanderbilt, while scary as you mentioned, they they did nearly beat Alabama. Uh, it's a uh, it's it's a game where you know Jerry Stackhouse really has to uh, he's he's got his work cut out for him to to keep Vanderbilt, you know keep keep that keep that game really competitive against Auburn. Yeah, and if you're Auburn, you look at this week saying, hey. Vandy on the road, Ole Miss at home. You take care of business in both of them. You're undefeated heading into Alabama, and and that could be an early 
Yeah, it could be an early one that could go a long way into determining who wins the SEC this year because, like I said, both of those teams are the only ones that are undefeated in the league right now. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and, yeah, Auburn-Vandy on Wednesday night. Um, the Observer will be there. I might as well open a satellite office in Nashville for the amount of times I've had to go up there for work uh, over the last year. And it ain't over. You go to Vandy in uh, in, in mid-January, and I'll be back up there for the SEC tournament in a couple months. So, you know, that's just just the uh, good thing. Nashville's a, a a fun city. I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it credit for that. All right, uh, let's move on to football. Before we do that, uh, let's take care of some business. Hi, if you like this show and you want more of it, uh, we do twice. We do this this show twice a week with me and Dan and Painter. Sometimes a special guest. Um, we do this twice a week. You get this, the free one early in the week, usually on the weekend, Sunday or Monday. Um, you also you get the later in the week ones, which is the same show, uh, just another one of them. Um, you get those only if you subscribe to the Auburn Observer. You get all of our newsletters, all of our writing, so mailbags, uh, film rooms, analysis, X's and O's, stats, all that good stuff. The roster tracker for football, uh, which has been busy. You get all of that with the subscription to the Observer. It is six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year. We email you as soon as stuff drops. So go to AuburnObserver.com, sign up there. There are buttons, links, all that good stuff. You can look at the description, uh, the email if you get it. Uh, super, super easy to sign up. And uh, we appreciate all of you who have uh, continued to jump on board here on uh, what has been a very busy month of January. Painter, what what is the other way that the folks at home can help us out? Please rate, review, and follow the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Helps us out a ton, gets more people on the product. So we thank you very, very much for doing that. Also, you can go to homefieldapparel.com, homefieldapparel, the number one place to buy collegiate vintage apparel, including the Auburn Observer t-shirt, which I can confirm was in the front row of the student section the other night, uh, Tuesday night against uh, against Texas A&M. So we love to see that. Um, you can just go to uh, go to homefieldapparel.com, search Auburn Observer. You can get our t-shirt. You also get a lot of really good Auburn stuff there. Uh, we're talking t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, quarter zips, hats, joggers. They make the most comfortable stuff with the coolest Auburn designs. And if there's another team that you really, really like, um, you know, another school, Homefield probably has them. They're releasing more uh, schools throughout the year. I think Nevada is their new one this week that they're gonna they're gonna launch, uh, and they're gonna do some refreshes for some other basketball schools. So check that out, homefieldapparel.com. Fifteen percent off your first order uh, if you use the promo code Observer two three at checkout. All right, fellas. Auburn football, um, since the last time we did our podcast, some big news on the staff side. Both Cadillac Williams and Zach Etheridge uh, have resigned from Auburn. Uh, Etheridge uh, reportedly uh, taking the job, taking a job at Houston. Going back there, no word yet on Cadillac Williams and what his future is going to hold. Here's the, th- here's the thing, just right off the top. There are, there's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of speculation. We're not going to get any any of that here on this podcast. It's not our bag. It's not our lane. This is not what we do. I will say, though, these are moves that I think, if you're out there and you're an Auburn fan and you're surprised, I think that's very warranted. Um, I don't think this was something that a lot of people saw coming. It was in the works. I honestly, if I can be be very transparent here, um, I honestly don't think this is a situation where Auburn wanted to make these moves at these certain spots. You talk, look at Cadillac Williams, you look at Zach Etheridge, how 
integral they have been to the transition to this to this new staff, how great they've been as recruiters, the fact that they are Auburn, um, you know, former Auburn guys mean a lot to the program, mean a lot to the to the team, mean a lot to the fan base. Um, it's significant. And uh, Auburn is going to have to, you know, change course from here and, and see where they go. Now they did officially Auburn did officially announce um the hiring of Charles Kelly this weekend. He will serve as the co-defensive coordinator. Now, what happened to the regular defensive coordinator? Is there another co-defensive coordinator? Stay tuned on that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, Dan, I thought this was really interesting. Auburn just came right out and said it in the press release when they hired Charles Kelly. Um, You get Charles Kelly because Charles Kelly is a dynamite recruiter. And, I mean, pretty high up in the press release, and I think in the headline as well, they make mention of the fact that he was – the 2023-247 Sports National Recruiter of the Year. Hey, he did that at the University of Alabama. He did that for your big rival. And to bring a guy back home with those kind of recruiting chops, especially now in light of Zach Etheridge's departure, to have a defensive back coach who is, I mean, a killer on the recruiting trail and has been for his, you know, the, the majority of his his college coaching career, I think that says a lot about what Auburn wanted to do with this move. And retaining a defensive backs coach that Hugh Freeze clearly uh, believes in, in yeah. Wesley Wesley McGriff st- yeah. sticking around, in order to have th- those those two sort of combining their forces in the uh, in 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 the uh, in the secondary. Yeah, I, I think it's another sign. You know, and again, I, I sort of get back to I think Hugh Freeze believes that this offense can be better in 2024, and that's part of the reason why he's rolling his sleeves up. And and doing you know and 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 uh, and getting more involved in the play calling is because I think he, he he sees the potential for growth and and he he can get uh, the lion's share of the credit uh, if if he uh, not the that's not the only reason he's doing it but I think uh, there, there's something there and I think on defense you know what we'll see who Auburn ends up getting as uh, as as co defensive coordinator alongside Charles Kelly um, but but I think there's there's reason to believe. Parts of the defense now you're, you're losing some key pieces, but that there's reason to believe that uh, that the parts of this defense can get better too if the uh, if, if the right moves are made and uh, and yeah I'm, I'm interested to see it, it was interesting to see that Charles Kelly was designated as a co defensive coordinator which does you know I don't know if Auburn was trying to create intrigue but when you name someone a co defensive coordinator and he's the only co-defensive yeah. coordinator on the staff does sort of raise the question of what's the uh, what, what's the corresponding move going to be and, and who else uh, could be joining the staff as uh, as co-defensive coordinator. So I'm glad you mentioned that because um, we had the midweek podcast. Our buddy Nathan King hopped on with us. Um, a lot of good stuff. And, and blue. And blue. and blue and blue blue also hopped on. He's he's in the he's we've we've heard the petitions. We've heard the heard your tweets. Blue right now is currently leading the uh, employee of the month race, so just just keep that in mind, Painter. You're gonna have to you're gonna have a lot of catching up to do here, uh, moving forward. But uh, Nathan mentioned when he was on with us, people talked about Zach Arnett, former Mississippi State head coach, great defensive coordinator uh, during his time, both with the Bulldogs and um, you know his past at San Diego State. Uh, Chris Hampton, uh, co-defensive coordinator, at Oregon. Uh, Oregon is their staff is, or at least their head coach is staying put Dan Lanning. We'll talk about that. I'm sure towards the end of, uh, end of this, but, um, has also been mentioned as, as somebody to look at 
Here's another one. If you're wondering why things might be taking so long, another reported candidate that people have mentioned have linked to the Auburn job is Chris Kiffin. You know his brother. Probably knows dad too. Um, Chris Kiffin uh, has had you know worked for um, he worked for Hugh Freeze in the past at uh, at Ole Miss. Um, he has been an assistant coach uh, at uh, you know for his brother at FAU. He was the pass rush specialist. Uh, and defensive line coach with the Browns, um, or he was with the Niners, and then he was with the Browns. So you talk about defensive line with the Browns, you talk about an, an elite group. And then he joined um, he joined the Texans this year under new coach D'Amico Ryans to be their linebackers coach. If Auburn is interested in in, in Chris in bringing in Chris Kiffin to be their defense coordinator, bringing him in, um, you know, co defense coordinator or whatever from the NFL ranks. Here's the thing about that. Uh, the Houston Texans are still in the playoffs. They just pounded the Browns uh, in the wild card game on Saturday, one of the wild card games on Saturday, uh, to advance. So, if you're wondering why it might be taking so long, Auburn has been linked to a guy like Chris Kiffin, who's still coaching right now in the NFL. And yeah, keep that in mind. I'm not saying it's going to be Chris Kiffin, but that also kind of just brings up hey, if hey, if a guy that Auburn is looking at or has been reportedly linked to is still coaching in the league right now. That could be part of it. I thought Auburn was going to have kind of a staff or want to have their staff in place by this weekend. Big recruiting weekend for Auburn. Brought some juniors in. Had some had some had some transfers uh, visits this week as well. That didn't happen. Uh, and they had their resignations uh, on Thursday night and Friday. So, I, Dan, is it naive of me? Is it naive of me to say that like at this point, like don't rush it? You know, if you're if, if you're if you're Auburn, like you didn't you didn't get everything in place for. The big for for a big recruiting weekend. Um, so in that case, like get the right guys. That's that's more important than just making sure you have somebody at this point. Especially if there are guys you know on the defensive staff that you're looking at that might be in the NFL right now. Well, and I also wonder if if there's any spot where they really look and think there's there's the kind of urgency that there was last year to address it in the portal, or if they feel like they can evaluate guys in the spring and then go fishing again in the transfer portal for veterans in May, because you figure there's going to be a pretty active portal window at the end of the spring semester as well. Once guys see where they factor in or don't factor in in spring practice. And I think there could also be a pretty robust market for group of five players looking at the portal after the spring and saying, Oh, look at this SEC team that needs somebody at my position. Look at this Big 12 team or Big 10 team. I think you can see movement like that, too. And again, I, I don't know what Auburn's going to do, but I think that they've they've got roster. They, they've got spots on the roster where they, they really want to evaluate what they've got now before making a big commitment to someone in the transfer portal, a veteran, and bringing them in. And then they could decide, all right, well, uh, we need we need more veteran help. Uh, in uh, in in May to to come join the program, and then and then of course you're going to have a running back coach um, position to fill. Uh, Derek Nix has been linked to Auburn uh, in in the mat, and I think Lane Kiffin had a little trolling about that over the weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean Auburn's got an offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, and running back coach to fill. You could kind of mix and match your responsibilities there to make it. I think the bottom line is though it it, it does feel like. Hugh Freeze is going to be the play caller next season and take more ownership of this offense 
like you said, Dan, this is this is an offense that they that that he thinks can get better. We'll see what else that looks. I'll tell you one thing: the Cam Ward coming out to Miami out of nowhere. I mean, this. Correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. I mean, I don't know if you felt this way, also, Painter, but like, it feels like there's been a, a high rate of of stories this off season in college football where it's like, hey, I'm going to this school, or hey, I'm going to this job, or hey, I'm doing this, and then just the complete opposite happens a few days later. I don't know how. Like, we don't. We're not news hounds at the Observer, and I, it's hard to keep up with this junk. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. It's like, it feels like more than ever, just ah, let it see how it all plays out. But like, am I the only one? Am I the only one who kind of feels that way about like, I mean, it's it's been a number of guys, and like, I'll even say the West McGriff story is part of part of that as well, where it's like, hey, this guy's going. Nope, actually not. Uh, you know, the name's not on the dotted line, and I think that you saw that also with Cam Wargard in Miami. I forget if we talked about Percy Lewis with Nathan, the Mississippi State offensive no, I tackle. That, I think that happened right after we start, stopped recording or the, that, maybe the day later. That's a really nice pickup for Auburn in the portal because that's a spot where you know I, I know they'd evaluated. I, I don't know how many starting caliber left tackles switch teams in the transfer portal this offseason, especially at at the the biggest programs in the SEC and and the Big Ten and the Big Twelve. So I think being able to land somebody uh, who was a very highly regarded junior college offensive tackle who played a lot at Mississippi State this year, um, be, being able to bring him in, sort of, he's not going to play the same position, but he feels like a Gunner Britton replacement because Gunner's moving on, Dylan Wade is sticking around, but most likely. Kicking inside yeah. to guard. Although I think they could evaluate between uh between Percy and Too Tall and Too Tall and Tyler Johnson and Dylan Wade. I think you decide who you know who the four who the two best tackles are of the four and go from there. Although I understand why a Dylan Wade season at guard is is an attractive proposition because it sounds like that's the position he might be able to play. He has he has the best chance of playing at the professional level. You bring back Jeremiah Wright, uh, another another guard. That I mean, between Jaden I mean, let, let me ask you this, Justin. Just based on what you, I mean, if if Jake Thornton has an off season with Percy Lewis and Too Tall as his starting tackles, Dylan Wade and Jeremiah Wright as his starting guards, and Connor Liu as his starting center, do you think that's something he could whip into a uh, uh, you know, a a productive SEC offensive line group, or does that does that sound like something where Auburn might need to to continue looking for starting caliber additions? I think Auburn could benefit from getting another guard if if if, if they if they had that room. I think they have fifteen guys on the offensive line right now set for twenty twenty four. Freeze has said in the past he likes to carry sixteen, so that might be something you can get you can get. And, and again, there might be some movement after the spring or something like that where you could see some some versatility there. I, the Percy Lewis pickup is great for Auburn. Um, again, this is a guy who played a lot of left tackle last season uh, for Mississippi State. Uh, only allow one sack all year um, and uh, just six pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. Really, really good efficiency numbers. He's as big as a house, too. 6'8", 345. I mean, this is you can't teach that. You can't teach being that big. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a real weapon. Gives you some more versatility on the offensive line if you want to kick a guy like Dylan Wade on the inside. 
It's a good group. Um, again, the the future of Auburn's offensive line is going to be built by recruiting, by developing those recruits long term. You've already gotten some earlier turns on a guy like uh, Connor Lou. You've got other pieces that you want to continue to push moving forward. But this is a years-long process, and I thought in year one for Auburn's offensive line, especially in run blocking, they took a step forward. Pass protection was a mixed bag. Um, there were some games where it was, it was better than others. I think this Auburn offensive line is heading in the right direction. You want to, if you're Auburn, match it with a with a passing game that can take advantage of the fact that you feel like you're going there. Um, but this team is bringing in more talent. They're bringing in more depth and numbers. I think they're I think they're doing a, a really good job in in going in the direction that they want to go in with their offensive line. And I think Percy Lewis, they they went after dude after dude after dude um, on the offensive line um, here in the transfer portal and struck out on quite a few of them. Didn't weren't even able to get some of these guys on campus. And so to get a dude like Percy Lewis to like like you said, Dan, it's a guy who started at the SEC level. Um, you know. Again, Mississippi State wasn't great, but his numbers were great. And I, I think it's a lot like, you know, with Gunnar Britton and 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 Avery Jones when he was healthy and 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 uh and Dylan Wade last year, J- Jaden Muskrat. If you are really excited about bringing in mid-major guys to make that jump, um, you should feel pretty good about a guy who already d- knows what they're doing uh on the uh on the offensive line in the SEC. And I'm excited. I mean, it's it's a uh... I guess the only real similarity is that their names are Lewis, right? And and they're both in the portal. But I mean, I think Robert Lewis is an exciting addition too. The uh, the the Georgia State receiver uh, who, who's mm-hmm. coming in, and and I think that's another position where you know, Auburn's going to look at Robert Lewis and Sam Jackson and and the freshman who can go through spring practice and then decide you know what kind of work is needed in May. Uh, to uh, to 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 add to that group. Although I'm not sure you're really, you know, I'm not sure what kind of impact players will be out there. Uh, but but if you need to add, you know, if you if you need to supplement the room with veterans, you know, that option will probably be there. Over, I mean, you've got the guys that are in the portal now who you can recruit throughout the spring semester until they drop out of the portal. But then there's also guys who could enter the portal between now and the start of the season between. The spring portal window opening and and uh, uh, graduate transfers uh, making themselves available. It's also interesting to remember Alabama's players in the portal in the aftermath of the Nick Saban news. Kalen DeBoer uh, players have the option of entering the portal because Washington has made a change. And if Michigan loses Jim Harbaugh as expected to the NFL in the coming days, that also would be a program that has to worry about retaining uh, all of their uh, all of their players going back to the offensive line is this the best auburn could feel since about 2018 maybe 2019 yeah that 19 crew if i remember correctly that's the tega markwell harrell uh would driscoll have been on that as well driscoll that was Driscoll. Is that maybe, a, Bur- maybe, Berdarius Ham. maybe a year before Berdarius. I forget. Yeah. If Driscoll it was and- a very experienced crew. And then you kind of 2020, it all kind of hits this weird reset. And, you know, Auburn doesn't have really the kind of recruits long term there. I, yeah, I, 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 I think so. Um, and I'm looking at the, the, that team in 19. Now, granted, Bo scrambling helped out a ton here. Uh, but, you know, they were top 20 in the country that year and, and sacks allowed. 
um, few sacks allowed, and then you know top thirty, top forty running running game. Like just quick look at the math. I think yeah, you you, you think that's solid, and yeah, I mean I think it's going to take years for Auburn to get to like where they feel like their offensive line is like one of the best and strong, like like consistently. Um, but this this case of piecing together transfers and some older guys that have been around and just kind of developing that is big. And then you look at, you know, um, what they've gotten, you know, over the years, you, you have Connor Lou, you can build around obviously, but you like what you got in the future with Tyler, Tyler Johnson, you brought in Dylan Senda, Clay Whedon. Um, you got EJ Harris, you get self Seth Wilford from junior college. Who's got several years of eligibility. Trey Carter was one of the best offensive linemen in the country coming out of high school this year. Favor Edwin, a lot of people really liked. Obviously, Auburn beat out a lot of SEC teams to get him. That's the kind of thing, like, years and years of development will, will get you that win Win on that offensive line. Hey, speaking of Bo Nix, really cool to see Bo at the at the basketball game on Saturday night uh, and the, the ovation he got from, uh, from, from the fan base. Um, I think, you know, he had a weird kind of legacy when he left here, but I think, you know, Auburn has seen kind of what's going on without him and seen what he did, you know, at Oregon and, and what's going on there. I, I, I don't know. I just thought it was really, really cool to to for him to get that kind of ovation. He looked kind of surprised he was put up on the on the screen there, but um cool for him to come back come back home and for Auburn to to treat him like uh like I, I think he he deserves to be treated uh as a guy that gave him your all Gave it his all, you know, at Auburn the years he was here, and then made the very best decision for himself. And uh, who knows, it might be a first round pick of the NFL draft here in a, in a few months. Yeah, I'm glad there wasn't a Jerry Krause situation oh, God. with Bo, Bo so Nix. Bo Nix on the jumbo trail. Oh there. my God, that was bad. <laughs> so no, I, I, he's uh, yeah, he's an Auburn graduate, three year starter, uh, and, and a guy that I hope is uh, is is recognized as a big part of Auburn football history. Uh, for for uh, you know, for for the for for the foreseeable future. Like, I really hope that's that that's the way things go. And uh, yeah, very cool to see him get an ovation uh, on uh, on Saturday night. And I hope I hope he I hope it happens at Jordan Hare Stadium uh, someday soon. I hope he I hope he makes his return and and is warmly received uh, by the fans there as well. Fellas, Alabama's got a new coach. It's Kalen DeBoer from Washington. We talked about Saban retiring on our last podcast. Let's talk about it because it affects Auburn, obviously. Your biggest rival making a move. Your initial thoughts on the tide replacing Saban with uh, with with Kalen DeBoer with a guy from with a guy from uh, from UW. If he can recruit well, I see no reason why he won't be a very good hire. We've Man. seen outsiders come to the SEC. Uh, from from uh, other parts of the country before sometimes it's worked Nick Saban had never really been in the southeast when LSU hired him Urban Meyer had never really been in the southeast when Florida hired him you know you got your Mike Prices and your Brian Harsons there have been examples of it not really working out Brett Bielema Brett Bielema sure I mean there, there have been examples where it where it hasn't been a uh it, it hasn't been gangbusters but no, I mean he uh, if you guys remember back in 2016, when he was the offensive coordinator for Eastern Michigan, I said, this guy's going to replace Nick Saban one day. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I was out there, you know, I wasn't on it. I wasn't on it until he was in Indiana. And when he was in Indiana, I was like, hold on, now, hold on. Now there's something to this, to this guy. Look, love, love a Jeff Tedford guy. You know, I'm, I'm a big Jeff Tedford fan. And, and, you know, these two, I think the Fresno record was like 22 and two 
or something when when Tedford was the head coach and and DeBoer was the offensive coordinator and then, and then they they you know he continued winning as a head coach at Fresno and Washington uh now at Al- I'm I'm surprised that it isn't somebody who worked for Saban as an assistant getting that job whether internally or or uh or someone who had moved on to be a head coach somewhere I just kind of thought that was always going to be the 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 next step after the Saban legacy to go with a total outsider who yeah. is you know aside from professional courtesy uh, you know is 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 really sort of foreign to Nick Saban as well like to to go with someone like that and introduce you know s- such such a a new element into the football program um, it's a it's a bold move and I uh, I'm curious to see. Uh, I'm curious to see like how 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 DeBoer acclimates himself to what has to be a you know it's it's got to be a whirlwind you know these I mean he was coaching for the national championship on a on a Monday night at at Washington and he's Nick Saban's replacement at the at at the end of that week so yeah I'm I'm, uh, I'm I mean it's 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 another it was already going to be such an interesting offseason with Oklahoma and Texas coming in and the portal constantly creating news now it's uh, uh n- now you now you add the you know the spotlight that's on Kalen DeBoer at, at Alabama uh, to everything and and I think folks will understandably be watching every move he makes as 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 the new head coach to see uh what he keeps from uh fr- from the Nick Saban era and and what he decides needs to be uh new and uh and and his own. Yeah, my thing, he, unreal coach. I mean, his on-field record speaks for itself. Everywhere he's been, he's very adaptable. He wins. He's a success pretty much everywhere he's been. Offensively, he's a great, great coach. He's going to have to recruit some – he's going to have to get some dogs on the recruiting trail is, is all I'd say. It, it, that's definitely possible. I mean, Urban Meyer went into Florida and did that and, and you know, you know turned turn them into a, into, into a quick little dynasty there. But, like – you know that's that's my big question. They obviously went after uh, Dan Lanning at Oregon. There obviously was something to Texas uh, and maybe Sark, Mike Norvell as well because he just got paid. Um, I thought it was hilarious that Dabo tried to try to jump in on that. He's like, I ain't going anywhere, and it's like, brother, you weren't going anywhere to begin with. <laughs> like, like that was to do that after everyone else had done that was. Really, really funny, but also pretty dabbo. But uh, you know, I, I thought I tweeted this when it when the hire was made. I'm watch the watch the Cowboys hire Dabo after uh, <laughs> after that statement. Watch watch McCarthy I'm, blow it today, and the Cowboys hire Dabo. I'm I was surprised that I, that Alabama hired somebody who had no ties to the Southeast. I'm not saying it's impossible to say. I literally said in my tweet like this is not going to determine if he's successful there or not. I was just surprised. I thought especially with. The importance of recruiting and the importance of connections and relationships and familiarity and all that. I thought they'd have gotten somebody from the South. They apparently tried. They went and got one of the best available coaches out there without it. And we'll see how Brian, it goes. Brian Kelly's also on this list of guys who were largely outsiders. And we'll see how Brian Kelly works yeah. long term at LSU. It's obviously going good, not great, but good right now. Um, and we'll see. I, I think the thing there is just like, you know, what he does on the recruiting trail. I thought. It's an interesting time to do this, especially for Alabama. Auburn just went in and did a really good job, I think, in local in-state recruiting. 
here in this cycle with Nick uh, with uh, with in Nick Saban's last year and with um, Hugh Freeze first cycle coming in. I think this is an opportunity for Auburn to continue to do really really well uh, with the in-state recruiting. The state of Alabama continues to pop out elite elite talent. I'm not saying they're going to get whoever they want to, and I'm sure Alabama's still going to get a lot of elite guys. But I think there's a chance for you know kind of the recruiting you know uh, hierarchy to shift a little bit. Not saying Auburn's going to start recruiting out recruiting Alabama year in and year out, but has the ability to shift. Also, I mean, we all know this. I think more more than anything, the Saban retirement is just only going to make Georgia even tougher, uh, especially if Georgia, you know, Georgia gets T. Rob. Um, that was obviously a a, a, a big move there. Uh, and then like Alabama's got dudes hitting the portal and including some DBs. If they end up at Georgia, don't be surprised. Like, you know, I, I do think we all know that Georgia's been the superpower and the bigger dog over the last few years. I mean, the, the, the national titles speak for themselves. It's going to help Auburn. I think the fact that the greatest coach of all time is not going to be in Tuscaloosa anymore. I think that Alabama is still going to be good. And I think Georgia continue, is going to continue to be the the superpower. But like we talked about with Nathan uh, last week or late last week, it is an opportunity for Auburn to take advantage. I'm not saying they need to win the SEC next year, or win ten games even uh, to be considered a success. But there's an opportunity. Take advantage of the way things are shifting, and uh, we shall see. It, I will say one thing: the DeBoer hire it makes it makes the Alabama situation a lot more interesting. Because it doesn't feel like a slam dunk, and, and like even if they got a Dan Landing, I don't think it feels like necessarily a slam dunk, um, because you know that's just not how coaching hires work. I, it just, I don't know. It, it it makes it more intriguing because there's a lot more, there's a lot more unknown at play now, um, which I think was always going to be natural when you don't have Nick Saban uh, at the helm anymore. Painter, uh, would you leave uh, Seattle for for Tuscaloosa? You'd have to get a lot of money. I would there. not. I would not. But I understand the career motives and the opportunity to coach at that school being too tempting for some to pass up. Maybe maybe he's just a really big fan of barbecue. And he's like, you know what? Seattle's great. But I, they ain't got an Archibald's in Seattle last time I checked. Right. Not, you know what? They've got the lake. He'll probably have a nice house on the lake. I mean, things could be worse. Don't get me wrong. And if, if it goes sideways, he's still going to get as much money as God. So... Money wins, you know. Logan Roy, you know, he said he said that the you know money wins in these uh, in these situations. Do you guys you think Saban ends up on game day? You think that's that's the the next? I hope, thing? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, he's, uh, he seems like a pretty. I like, say that like I watch game day. Uh, I don't either. I don't, but but ESPN and and I can't imagine. I can't imagine S- Saban taking over the role of putting the mascot head. No, that like, seems like a, that seems like a, McAfee. Yeah, that'd be, that'd that's McAfee probably move. yeah. McAfee takes. Do that you think they'll keep doing it or, or oh, just yeah. say you know what? Oh, we're that's retired. No, that's one of the gimmicks of college game day. Someone will be putting. That I can order. see like Corso like giving him that role and like them making a big deal of it. Yeah, but but no, I don't think Nick Saban is going to slap the Oregon duck on his on his head, you know, in in Eugene to fire up the crowd. <laughs> like I just don't, I don't, I don't envision that. Even if he does have a good relationship with Fowler and Herb Street, so it, it sounds like you know he, he obviously obviously in. has a great relationship with Reese Davis. You know who I feel kind of bad for in this whole thing is Pete Carroll because like Pete Carroll's firing slash retirement, whatever happened there would be a massive story. The guy won a Super Bowl. He's one of only two coaches to ever win a Super Bowl and a college national championship. And that in the in the wave of news about Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, 
the Pete Carroll thing feels like it was like completely buried uh, as as a you know as as far as the the significance of 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 him stepping away. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I mean because I I've thought you know Pete Carroll's been a a major he's been a major coach for twenty years. Oh yeah, and he he gets canned you know kind of unexpectedly. And in amid amid Nick Saban and Bill Belichick stepping away, it's uh, it's like when it's like when a famous person dies, but then a much more famous person dies a couple of hours later, and you don't really you know you don't really hear as much about the first one. Pete Pete's got an advisory role with the Seahawks now. I think that's the move. He's probably done. If you're Washington, do you look at Pete Carroll and be like, hey, bud? Just hey, get us get us here for the next couple of years while while we like get like like develop the successor, I guess. Maybe. Well, um, I mean, I'll tell you what, if you're if if you're one of these owners that feels like you need to win before the Grim Reaper touches you, right? Like do yeah. you do you need to like do you look and say, Hey, Pete Carroll, can you win can you win football games over the next two, three seasons if given the the give if given a team that can hang? Can you do that if you're Bill Belichick? Like I I don't know. Like I'm, I'm once, once all the dust settles, cause there's still a lot of openings in, in this, in the, in the NFL. Uh, once the dust settles, I'm, I'm curious to see if, yeah, if some of these, some of these legends that are suddenly available are, uh, are, uh, are hired somewhere else. Seems like, seems like Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator at Washington is going to follow DeBoer to, to, to Alabama. Uh, he, he made a post the other night that he was not going to be the next head coach at, at UW. So I, I do wonder what, what that, that is going to entail. It's just, I don't know that where Belichick ends up is going to be fascinating. If it is definitely it for Carroll is going to be fascinating to watch as well uh, as a coach. But I don't know. It's just it's it's this new era uh, and 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 football in general. You know, they were talking about they, these are the first playoffs in so long that doesn't have Tom Brady or Peyton Manning in it, which is uh, a really wild stat to think about. I don't know. It's just so much is changing with the sport of football. Um, some for the good, some for the bad. Um, and I think part of it is just there's these guys that have been fixtures for forever uh, in coaching, and they're all hanging it up. And we, we've seen this in college basketball too, as well. Um, but it just feels like everything's kind of going a little bit more rapidly uh, with the evolution of the sport. No idea what Washington uh, is going to do. We should probably differentiate because both Washington. The football team and the NFL and the Washington Huskies are both looking. You for know what? Coaches. I'm not really. You know what? I'm not really worried about the Washington football team, the Commanders. Right. But that's that's probably who should be calling Pete Carroll, right? Is that is it yeah. or, is, or is or is it or is it U.S. or maybe it's the Washington college football team that should be. Uh, but but I I think uh, Chris Kleiman would be my phone call at uh, at at Washington, a guy who also won at the smaller school level, uh, kind of like. Uh, kind kind of like DeBoer, and uh, while I don't know the economics of poaching Kansas State's quarterback, I I kind of feel like it represents an upgrade to go coach the team that just played for the national championship, as opposed to what you've got there in in Manhattan, Kansas. I I, I don't know. I, I I have no idea what Washington is going to do to replace uh, DeBoer. Real quick before we go, because we didn't mention it, Jack Hunter's coming back. That that was made. Official Brian Batia is out of the portal as well. He's coming back to Auburn again with the Cadillac Williams resignation. There's some there's some flux here, you know, with with Auburn's running game. But you look, I mean, Auburn's got to throw the ball better next year. Everyone knows that that is the that is the the the, the top priority. But 
This is an Auburn team that uh, finished the year, you know, top thirty-five in in rushing uh, yards per carry. There's a there's a foundation here for sure uh, with Auburn and their ground game, uh, especially when we were talking about the offensive line continuing to get better and developing for the future. Got to throw the ball. Got to throw the ball. Got to throw the ball. What does Auburn do there? Um, there's still some dudes out in the portal, and I'm I'm very interested to see what Will Rogers does. You know, this is a guy who commits to going to 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 Washington, and I think he was actually there in practicing. Does he get another going another direction as well? I mean, does Auburn push after it? Do they wait? Do they stand pat at quarterback? All that. Those are all the big questions. But I do think there is a foundation here with this running game with Jarquez on her back. You got Jeremiah Cobb. You got Demari Alston. You got. Brian Matee returning. Auburn didn't bring in a running back in this class, but they're in a pretty good position, uh, I think, moving forward uh, to continue to, to to work on some of these guys, and and we'll see. Um, that running back room is there's definitely going to be changes with with Cadillac stepping down, but um, we shall see what uh, uh what the future holds uh, for in the coaching realm. But whoever gets this job as running back coach is inheriting, I think, a pretty solid room um, that has the potential to be one of the better ones in the SEC again next year. All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we will be back sometime later this week. Probably our next podcast probably won't be until probably like Friday, uh, just because late game Wednesday in in, in Nashville. Uh, I'll be traveling uh, back and forth from there. So those of you who are subscribers, you will get another podcast most likely on Friday morning with the mailbag. Uh, so keep an eye out and an ear out for that. Um, we'll have continue to have coverage throughout the week. Uh, with uh, basketball and football in the newsletters as well. Thank you guys so, so very much for listening. Dan, you got something? I'm getting to take one of my favorite food trips in the oh, uh, Sunbelt Conference uh, this week. We're going to San Marcos, Texas uh, mm. Thursday night. Uh, for uh, and and I'm gonna enjoy, uh, you know, the 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 Tex-Mex, uh, you know, in in San Marcos, some some good stuff there. Also, an In and Out Burger location uh, in in San Marcos, Texas. Uh, just uh, just outside of Austin, uh, so and and then uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, on Ooh. on Saturday, and we man, uh, that is a, that is a killer counter counter punch there, man. Yeah, that's really and, good. And we uh, yeah, bus busing back home from San Marco, stopping in Lafayette to play uh, on uh, on Saturday. Trojans have won four straight uh, conference games. There you beat, go. beat beat James Madison. Uh, the uh, the Trojan men are five and zero. Oh. Uh, in Sunbelt play Look as out. well. Scott, Scott Cross out. Scott Cross has a team uh, playing pretty well there in the uh, in the belt. But yeah, Lafayette, so some of the uh, Coach Rigby and some of the other coaches have deep ties to spots in Louisiana and they know their they, they know their Louisiana food and they've got a couple of spots that they they like in in Lafayette. So yeah, we always we're, we're always treated well on uh, on that trip and I'm I'm looking what's the right order uh Justin at a like a Texas uh, burrito shop or a Ooh. Texas uh, taco shop. What, what's what, what's the what's the Justin Ferguson? What what's what's stand out? Are you a carnitas guy or are you? Yeah, are you I, like- I do like a, car, a carnitas. You know what? If if we're going like traditional Tex Mex, if they have like uh, my favorite things I've ever gotten at a at a, a super Tex Mex place is like a uh, if they have like a house special like at like an enchilada where it's like this is what we do. Um, usually like a chili con carne or something like that. That's that's my that, that that's probably my go to. But you can't go wrong with a lot of those options. Dan, you're gonna be you're gonna be eating, eating quite well. I'm 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 a little jealous. Going to Nashville though, I always eat well in Nashville, so uh, I'm gonna be fine there. But we shall see. All right, that'll do it from us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Subscribe to the Observer. 
uh, $60 a month or $60 a year if you haven't already. Thank you all for all, all for listening. Thank you for those who are subscribers. We'll be back later this week. Painter, final thoughts. Dan, what is the best dressing for a salad? Mm. Oh, that's, that's an interesting. Now, I, I do right, love. I, I, I'm recusing myself from this conversation because I barely eat salad hardly at all. I'm not a yeah, last guy. And I, I don't eat it as much as I probably should, but I, I, love, a, I love a Caesar. Um, you know, a, a well, a well-made Caesar salad. There's, 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 you know, that, that one's perfect. Look, I'm no snob. Look, ranch dressing is ranch. Ranch dressing is, is a totally acceptable condiment. Uh, there are some things that are, that are greatly improved with the presence of, uh, of ranch dressing had, a, I, I got an underrated one for you. Been on a hibachi kick of, uh, of, of late, had a couple of to go hibachi spots. I like a ginger little, little ginger dressing you get with the, uh, with, with the salad, at a, uh, at, at, a, at a Japanese spot. I can't get enough of living in the city. I get off the bus at Dexter and Denny. The sun's coming up over the lake to my east. Yeah, and I feel the love in the rhythm and the music of the